Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Morning. It is the 1st of June, 2022. You are going to note in the culture that many, many people are going to be recognizing, acknowledging, and or celebrating the month of June as Pride Month. Um, and so I want to take a pause and say here at Faith Radio, we are acknowledging, observing, and um, advocating Forgiveness Month. So June is the month of forgiveness here at Faith Radio. We're going to focus on themes of forgiveness throughout the month of June. Um, And so I want to just take a note here, take a moment, take a pause, and remind us what the Bible says about pride. Um, We're also going to consider, you know, we're talking about pride. What does the Bible say, you know, expressly using that word? But also note the places where the Bible talks about arrogance or haughtiness, Those are also related to pride. Um, Things that bring attention to the self or the exaltation of the self instead of bringing attention to and glorifying God, that's essentially at its root, pride. God says about pride in Proverbs 8.13, to fear the Lord is to hate evil, and I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and uh, perverse speech. So, God's pretty clear about how he feels and how he views pride and arrogance. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 16.5, the Lord detests all who are proud of heart. Be sure of this. They're not going to go unpunished. Now, one that probably everybody knows but doesn't necessarily know the referent, Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Pride goes before the fall. Pride comes before destruction. A haughty spirit before its fall. So um, there is a lot, a lot, actually. Uh, I mean, I, there, I have dozens of scriptures, dozens of passages <laughs> listed here about um, what the Bible has to say about pride. And we won't read them all. But let me um, encourage you with the words of Peter from 1 Peter 5, 6, where Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Isaiah 23, 9, The Lord Almighty um, brings low the proud, um, humbles all who are renowned on the earth, God's going to get his glory. God's the one whom we exalt. God's the one whom we glorify. And and so um, let's not be proud. Let's not be people who puff ourselves up like peacocks. Let's not be prideful or arrogant or haughty or rude. Let's not be people who exchange the glory of God for some sort of glory of the creation, even ourselves. Let's be people who are humble before the Lord, not false humility, 
not the degrading of the human being. No, 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 no. Every single person is made in the image of God, absolutely. We need to know the difference between pride and rightly seeing ourselves as image bearers of the living God, created by God on purpose and for a purpose, fearfully and wonderfully made, valuable, precious, honorable, worthy, blessed, empowered, ambassadors of a king and a kingdom. Amen, amen, and amen. So I'm not saying, you know, that we are um, not walking with our with the dignity of who we are as human beings. I'm talking about right reverence and right reference. So who is the referent? Who is the point of reference? To whose glory is the parade being held or the flag being waved? Um, So let's actually humble ourselves in the sight of God that he might lift us up. As Peter says, uh, I'm not acknowledging June as Pride Month. I'm acknowledging June as... Forgiveness Month, Humility Month, the month of redemption, reclaiming, reorienting, rightly acknowledging our desperate need for the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Maybe you want to march with me under that rainbow. Next up, we've got uh, Jennifer Greenberg. She's the author of Not Forsaken. She and I have talked on a number of occasions about the reality of sexual abuse and trauma experienced at the hands of those in authority in the church And so, yes, we are going to dig into the abuse scandal in the Southern Baptist Convention. We're going to bring it to light. We're going to talk about what you and I can do as believers in response to it. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. Jennifer Greenberg joins us today. She is a sister in Christ. She is a wife. She is a mom. She is the author of Not Forsaken. She has very publicly engaged in um, the very difficult conversation about sexual abuse within the church. And she joins us today to talk specifically about what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. Jen, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for having me. Um, I want to have a feelings conversation, if I can, um, yeah, particularly, yeah, particularly related to people who have suffered trauma, sexual mm-hmm. trauma and abuse at the hands of people in authority in the church or in some sort of church-related institution, um, and just uh, allow you to tell any part of your story you want to tell, um, and then how how it feels when reports like this, this 400-page report um, about the Southern Baptist Convention and and or the release of the list of, I mean, that's 205 pages long, the list of abusers. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. It's, it's not shocking to me. And I think one of the hardest things about having the report come out and the list come out was not so much the um, the level of just corruption and sin that was documented within it was seeing you know and and I understand their shock but it was seeing the shock expressed by many Christians and because I feel that as a survivor I I've I've been talking about this for many many years and you know I was telling my my elder at my church um I felt I felt like Um, You know, I'd been telling people that there was a fire in the house and all of a sudden they saw the fire and they sat up and said, 
well, by golly, there's a fire. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, this is what I've been talking about. This is what I've been trying to warn you about. And so it's, it's a mix of emotions. On the one hand, I am grieved, um, as I'm always grieved for the many, many victims. I'm terrified for children um, and the vulnerable in the church. I'm angry at abusers and those who enable abuse. And meanwhile, I'm trying to figure out how to get everyone else to sort of see what I'm seeing. And I think that has been um, the biggest struggle for me uh, with, with just reading the, through this report and just scrolling through the threads on Twitter of just shock and horror and disbelief and um, you know, the huge array of emotions that people feel. Thank you, um, first of all, for continuing to declare from, you know, like the rooftops uh, to anybody within earshot who is willing to hear, you know, not only your lived experience, but the lived experience of so many who have been victimized at the hands of abusers and their enablers, not only within the church, but church-related institutions, um, camps, yeah schools, on and on and on. Um, talk with us a, a little bit about, I mean, you, you go to church. You just re- referred to an elder in your church. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's really important for people to understand. It's not that you have rejected Jesus or his bride, no. but we have to be honest about what has happened and what continues to happen, and we have to figure out how to protect the most vulnerable. Absolutely. Well, I think um, for me, a huge milestone in my recovery process was when I realized that abusers, including my own father, were con artists. You know, they'll tell you that they're a Christian. They'll tell you that they're a conservative. They'll tell you that they're, you know, into this hobby or that hobby. And the reason that they say these things is not because um, they're interested in truth or honesty or a healthy relationship with you, you know, let alone God, they are interested in tricking you into trusting them. And so abusers are con artists. And so when we see abusers in the church, we need to have a healthy understanding that this person is in all likelihood, not of God. Now, hear me, I'm not saying they cannot be saved. I'm saying that in all likelihood, they are not saved yet. And so um, we need to be extremely careful uh, when dealing with abusers. And so often I see in the church this tendency to, oh, well, uh, he or she said that they're sorry, and therefore we should just forgive them. And what they mean when they say that is that we should trust them. We should welcome them back into church. We should let them back around our kids. And that is such, that's exactly what the abusers want. They want you to trust them. They feel entitled to your forgiveness. And that's a huge red flag. And so for me, when I realized that my dad was a liar I was able to to kind of recalibrate my relationship with God and say, wait a minute, God, God is angry at my dad too. God is grieving with me. You know, Jesus weeps with us. 
um, you know, we read in the Bible that, that Jesus, even in heaven, he's interceding on our behalf. He's praying for us. You know, Jesus is weeping with us. And so, you know, when, when my abuser abused me, you, you talked earlier about uh, how we are created in the image of God. And so his crimes are not just against me. They're against God himself, the creator of the universe. And every time my abuser abused me, he was thumbing his nose at God. And so once we understand that, once we get that through our heads, we can separate, okay, this is the sin of a human being, but it, has, it, has, it bears no reflection upon God's holiness. You know, abusers, they're like dark clouds that come between you and the sun. They have nothing to do with the sun. They don't dim the sun. They might blind you to it for a little while, but that sun is still shining brightly. It's still pure and hot and, and true and faithful. And that's how God is. And so the sins of abuser of abusers do not affect the holiness or the faithfulness of mm. God, and they certainly cannot hinder his justice. Mm. Jen, that's so good. That's so good. We're talking with Jennifer Greenberg. You can find her directly at jennifergreenberg.net. And from there, all her social media. We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. We're talking with Jennifer Greenberg. Her book is Not Forsaken. We have uh, talked with Jennifer in the past, um, not only about that particular book, but resources related to abuse in the church, um, how to become people who are safe to tell, how to be the kind of place that those who have been victimized um, are not re-victimized um, by the way we respond to them. Um, how to avoid the temptation to reject the church and every pastor because of the sins of some and the institutional sin of cover-up. We're talking today specifically about what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention in, uh, you know, as the revelations continue to pour forth some 400 pages um, in a report released last week and then uh, followed by a 205-page list of abusers um, made made public. And so, you know, lots of churches in lots of places, lots of people um, who have found out things about former pastors um, and former church institutional leaders um, that, you know, has been a shocking revelation to some. But as Jen is saying, um, anyone who is shocked by the revelations hasn't been paying attention um, because those who have been abused have been telling these stories very publicly now for some time. So, Jen, um, let's let's do some equipping here. Mm-hmm. How do we become people who are safe to tell? Because anytime these revelations find the courage to finally come forward and tell their story. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a that's a complex question. There's such a there's such a process that goes on um, uh, learning about the whole complexity, the dynamics of abuse. And there's so many different types of abuse. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing I would say is, you know, and I see, I'm not just talking about the SBC here. I see every single denomination and church making this same mistake. 
they're hyper-focusing on sexual abuse. Mm. Here's the problem with that. That is actually a small percentage of the abuses that are taking place both in the church and in the world around us. And yet, one type of abuse often indicates another. So for example, a man who beats his wife is very likely capable of conning someone, taking advantage of a child, seducing a congregant, you name it. And you know, this ties into what you were talking about earlier about pride. Abusers have a serious issue with pride. They view other people as inferior to them. That's why they can take advantage of people. And so when you, when you see a person who is willing to harm his wife or harm his child, it doesn't matter. Well, it, it, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter. Even if it's not a sexual crime, we need to sit up and pay attention and realize that this person is dangerous. And so one thing I always encourage um, churches to do is, you know, like, for example, in the guidepost report, um, they talk about, they suggest forming an independent committee that would kind of keep track of or take reports about sexual abuse. I would really encourage the SBC, you know, and God willing, they can get to that point where they have that committee uh, or that, uh, what do you call it? Is it a committee or a I'm not getting the word right. Like an independent review committee. It's like a, yes. um, it's like, like a the ERLC. It's like the inspector Commission. general. Yeah. It's like the, yes. yeah. It's like the inspector general in a government agency. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. So God willing, if they're able to form this commission, um, I would really advise them to not just focus on sexual abuse, because what you do when you focus on any form of abuse, you put blinders on to all the other forms of abuse. And so mm. if you're not seeing all the other abusers, I mean, all those other abusers, they're probably sexual predators too. They just haven't been caught doing that yet. So we want to take, we want to take note of domestic violence, child abuse, you know, basically all forms of violent crime um, and take note of all of that because those people, those are not the people you want around your kids those are not the people you want counseling people in your church. Um, they're just, they're dangerous people. And so, you know, that's, I would just encourage everyone listening to educate yourself. You know, I have um, on my website, I have a free resource. It's called the shepherd's guide. You can download it for free. If you can't figure out how to download it, tweet me, send me a message. I will email it to you. Um, it's a PDF and it just goes through all the different steps you can take to prepare your church, to prepare yourself for um, uh, future reports of abuse, how to handle a current situation, how to handle a crisis, how to uh, support victims, how to help them find a therapist, a lawyer, how to report crimes to police. You know, all these things, it's it's just such a huge topic, but I I really am passionate about equipping the church. So anytime anybody has any questions, I'm always eager to help. I love that. All right. So I'm gonna um I'm gonna track down the shepherd's guide for those of you who already <laughs> text me on a regular basis. I will pop the link back to you if you just want to text me at eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four and ask for the shepherd's guide. 
I will um, pop that link back to you from jennifergreenberg.net, but that's also where you can find Jennifer and all of the resources. You can connect with her directly, jennifergreenberg.net. Jen, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Blessings on your precious family. Give your sweet husband my greetings as well. I certainly will. Thank you so much. You have a good day. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's Jennifer Greenberg. I love her personally. And so um, I obviously appreciate her willingness to come and share so clearly, not only out of her own experience, but the wonderful leadership that she's giving um, to this topic uh, in the church and in the culture today. Uh, JenniferGreenberg.net. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right. Thank you for the observations on the text line um, about the question of raising the school, Rob Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. Um, I'm going to reflect on that for just a moment. But let me uh, say again, if you want uh, the Not Forsaken Shepherd's Guide from Jennifer Greenberg, it's downloadable for free. If you just text me, um, I will pop that link back to you. You can find it at jennifergreenberg.net. My number here where you text me is 877-933-2484. Okay, on the question of uh, whether or not they should tear down the school, what I was really seeking to provoke here is us to give it some thought and some consideration. I personally think the school should be torn down. I even think they should move the school to a different place in the community. Right now, where it currently stands, it's immediately across the street from the funeral home that's handling many of the services. So um, I I wasn't advocating one way or another on this. I'm just seeking to provoke us to think about it, think about what we're thinking about, think about why we're thinking about it, the way we're thinking about it. Um, I certainly was not suggesting that, um, you know, from the vantage point of my particular location now, I'm able to speak into the needs of that community. And yes, I absolutely think the people of that community should be the ones making those decisions. So thank you for all of you who have texted in in response to that. Again, you can text me anything about anything at 877-933-2484. I'll pop the shepherd's guide back to those of you who want a copy of it. Next up, we're going to talk with Katie Ferris. Um, her, Her new book is He Will Be Enough. How God Takes You by the Hand Through Your Hardest Days. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now is Katie Ferris. Katie is joining us as the author of He Will Be Enough, How God Takes You by the Hand Through Your Hardest Days. Katie, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? Good morning. I am well. It is well with my soul. Um, I would love for you to start with a portion of your story so that people can get to know you a little bit. Sure. Thanks so much for asking. Yeah. So uh, this book, uh, 
he will be enough. How God takes you by the hand through your hardest days uh, definitely comes out of some of my family's hardest days. And for us, those primarily surrounded the diagnosis of three of our children with the same genetic condition. And that those were days of grief, um, questions, you know, wondering where is God in all of this? And then uh, we have experienced God's faithfulness through, uh, you know, through some really hard times. So, um, yeah, that's some of our story. I can elaborate uh, as much as you'd like, but my hope really is that this book will encourage people walking through their own hard seasons that God will be enough for them as well. Well, and I think that you um, you earn our trust, right? You establish mm-hmm. your credibility by... Um, you know, not just turning and and saying from a place of, you know, hey, I've always been walking on the mountaintops in the, you know, mm. in, in grassy places in bright sunshine. No, no, you've walked in hard places. And so I think that um, that's a, the testimony of having proven God faithful during the test, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is what is what makes you a credible witness in the book. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, so thank you. Um, the book is He Will Be Enough, How God Takes You by the Hand Through Your Hardest Days. Um, when you think back, is there a day that you can say, mm-hmm. well, that was a particularly hard one? <laughs> for sure, for sure. Uh, so part of our story, as I said, involves um, the diagnosis of three of our children with a serious genetic condition. And, you know, I remember the day that uh, my first son, uh, well, the first of the three children was diagnosed. And, you know, that was very hard. Uh, but, you know, the day that stands out to me really is the one when I learned that two more of my children had this diagnosis. So in between those two days, because it was a genetic condition, our whole family had to be tested. So my husband, Mm. me, all of our other children. And so there was this period of waiting and wondering and the not knowing. And, you know, I had my own ideas in my head of which of us might have it um, based on different symptoms as we were learning more about this condition. But when I got the phone call from my children's pediatrician saying that the test results were in, two more of my children had it. Um, My husband and I did not, although we were carriers. Um, You know, my head just was so full of confusion, so many thoughts running through at the same time. Um, You know, one, you know, just running right through my brain was, you know, why wasn't it me? Why was it my children? You know, it could have been any of us. Um, So, you know, I'm working through, not even working through, but having those thoughts come through, which, you know, over the years, you know, this was in 2013. So, you know, there's guilt and all of that, that I had to kind of process in my own heart. You know, I had no control over it, but still there are those feelings. So there was that category of feeling, but then there was also just this pent up grief and, um, you know, including the first diagnosis, but there had been, we had been on our toes so much, um, you know, running to appointments, doing the testing that once those results came in and we kind of had this answer of sorts, there was this cumulative, like, 
I don't know, whoosh out of <laughs> my lungs, you know, of like, oh, this is what's going on. I don't know where to go from here. And that's when my world really flipped inside out, upside down, whatever you want to say. And I remember after that phone call, calling my husband who was at work and just saying, can you just come home? And I have the results. I don't even remember exactly what words I said, but he came home as quickly as he could. He met me on the porch. Our children were young at the time. You know, my infant, I had an infant at the time and um, some older kids. And we just sat on the porch together and wept. Um, so that would be <laughs> the day that stands out as, you know, life before, life after. Katie, um, I'm thinking about your husband, who is a pastor, you as pastor's wife. This is happening not only in your family, but as a part of the larger family, not only your larger like family, but the larger family of faith. Um, there's yes. lots of layers to sort of suffering in public as a Christian. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about mm -hmm. that? Oh, that's a great question, um, Carmen. Thanks for asking. Uh, yeah, there, there are, you know, you know, what comes to mind immediately is also, you know, we all know what quarantine life is now after the last couple of years, but in that period of time when my, so my, my first child had been sick and that's how we got the diagnosis. And during that period, when we we're trying to figure out what was going on, you know, we, my younger children and I actually stayed home from church for several weeks. And, you know, I felt that disconnect from the body, um, you know, even as you know, my husband, he wasn't on staff at that time in our church, but we were very involved in the church. Um, and so to feel that separation from my body, my church family was, um, intense that was difficult to walk through and then to re-engage with church life on the other side um you know it's humbling <laughs> um and i think yeah I, there are just so many layers here that mm -hmm. we could explore um but i'm just thinking of you know even just you know i could have walked into church and tried to put on one kind of face, but for me, I couldn't do that. You know, mm -hmm. I just kind of wore it. And I just remember walking in on Sunday mornings and, you know, someone would say, Katie, how are you? And I would just weep. Um, I felt mm -hmm. the care behind the question, but I couldn't hide my suffering either. And uh, I do speak in my book about, you know, some of my seasons of harder days, not just related to my children's suffering, but related to other hard times that we've walked through as a family. You know, I had a really difficult miscarriage um, that shook me again, because it's part of that whole, um, uh, you know, it, it puts death at the forefront and death mm -hmm. related to childbearing. And that stirred all kinds of other thoughts and feelings again for me. But I remember walking into church on those Sundays and joining corporate worship and, you know, just, you know, embracing that, you know, my church family is singing the gospel to me and that's what I need right now. And as a pastor's wife, you know, I can look around on a Sunday morning and I'm aware of some things I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that I know what everyone in the church is going through, but I am aware of some situations. And there is this beauty of singing 
you know, in corporate worship, corporate singing to my brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever hard things they're walking through, being able to sing back to them. Um, so that's just, you know, on a Sunday morning, but then just in other areas of interacting with people, whether it's friendships, um, small groups, accountability, I think there are eyes on us. Um, but you know, honestly, I don't think about that too much. It's more, you know, how would I just as a believer, as a Christian, how do I just first and foremost, you know, honor God in this? And I think that's what my husband and I have tried to do is just Amen. give our situation, our story over to him. Um, you know, how does he want to use it for his glory? How does he want to meet us in it? Um, because we're weak and broken and I think our testimony hopefully comes through in the book really is that he's the one who's carried us through this. It's not because we have stronger faith than anybody else. There are people in my church who are, have stronger faith than I do. I, um, I look to them for encouragement. Um, so yeah, Amen. but, but I think that broader question, how do we, as a, as a church family support one another in suffering? Um, I think that's a, a group, a family that. project. <laughs> I love that. So, we're talking with, we're talking with Katie Ferris. We're talking about um her new book, He Will Be Enough. It's a devotional that offers beautiful biblical reflections to help us have faith and trust God in the midst of hard times and I know that you have um felt perplexed at particular mm-hmm. points along the way and so we're going to continue our conversation with Katie in just a moment. The book is He Will Be Enough. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and this is Faith Radio. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who We're talking with Katie Ferris about her own experience of God's sufficiency during hard days and even hard seasons. Um, the book is He Will Be Enough. It's a beautiful devotional offering us biblical reflections to help us have faith and trust God in the midst of hard times. And yes, I do have a handful of copies to give away today. If you'd like to enter the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Katie, um, one of the observations that you make is that it's just, it's it's absolutely natural for suffering of whatever Mm -hmm. kind to lead us to ask questions of God and to ask questions about God. Talk about the work of the Holy Spirit um, that enables us to like have the courage to even question and then mm-hmm. enables us to sort of offer our suffering up. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's completely natural for us to ask questions. Um, you know, in the Bible, there are lots of biblical characters who ask questions and, you know, in the book, I even talk about how even Jesus, you know, the night that he was betrayed, he, you know, he was asking, is there any other way, if there's any other way, um, you know, uh, to take this cup from me. So, you know, it's not wrong to ask questions of God, but I think behind that really is this matter of our hearts. You know, what is our heart posture towards God at the end of the day? Are we going to, um, you know, follow Jesus and be able to say, but not my will, yours be done here. And, uh, you know, I don't, <laughs> I, I'm not pretending that that's easy or that it happens overnight um, to be able to uh, come to that place of surrender. That can take a long time, but I think that that's the Bible's invitation to us. I think mm. that's the Lord's invitation to us is, you know, 
I think of the verses in Philippians, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, bring your request to God. And I think that is something we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us to do. You know, uh, uh, we can ask him to help us bring those anxious thoughts. And instead of spending our days worrying and anxious and fearful about the future, we can bring them to the Lord and ask him to do a work that really only he can do inside of us to give us hearts that trust him and surrender our circumstances to him. Um, And I think when he does that, that's a beautiful thing, but that is a God thing. That's not a human thing in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. That's a, that is a spirit thing. Um, I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if, um, if you might just talk with us a little bit, I think there's such a temptation to worry about the future when we, um, I mean, I have friends right now who Mm -hmm. maybe are a little bit different stage of life, right? So their worries and concerns are about the diagnoses that their parents are receiving, right? I have a Mm -hmm. friend who her mom has some dementia related things that her grandmother also suffered from. And so there's this like fear of the future thing going on in her Um, I have another friend who has some generational alcoholism in her family. And so she has this future fear related to, you know, Mm -hmm. are my children going to struggle with that? Like on and on and on. How do you, how, how do you approach that conversation, the temptation to worry about Mm -hmm. the future? Sure. And those are really hard things um, that your friends are facing. You know, we have a history of Alzheimer's in our family. Mm -hmm. So, um, two of like a grandmother on each side of my family. And then, um, you know, I watched my mother-in-law walk through that. And so, you know, I can understand those concerns, you know, as you're looking ahead um, in a family, you know, at things that are coming forward or in front of you, you don't know what the future is going to hold. So um, whether it's a concern for, you know, how is this going to, play out in my life <laughs> um, with a family history of something medical or how is this playing out in a parent's life right now or what is care going to look mm-hmm. like those are hard situations um, and I think the older I get <laughs> you know that temptation to worry about the future the older I get the longer I've been a Christian the more I think I realize that there are some things like worry that I may not actually conquer quote unquote until I get to heaven but um, you know ultimately my true hope is that there is one who conquered all my sin on the cross, my fear, anxiety, worry, doubts, laziness, greed, gluttony, any of those things. Um, And because of Jesus's decisive victory on the cross, sin, however it plays out in my life truly is defeated. And I have hope because of how, you know, God's story of the gospel intersects with my own story. I have hope that it's not going to be the last word. Um, And that when I am tempted, whether it's about worry about the future or anything else, God promises me a way out of my temptation. Um, So I think even starting with that awareness, oh, I'm tempted here. Let me look up some Bible verses that are going to help me on those days with those specific temptations. That's been really helpful for me to kind of reset whatever it is I'm struggling with, with God's truth. But um, I love the verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. You know, and, and that idea that Jesus is our sympathetic high priest, he sympathizes with us, with our weaknesses that are common to man. Um, 
But the rest of that verse in Corinthians says, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And in my book, I reference um, Pilgrim's Progress and how mm-hmm. Christian held the key in his pocket that would unlock the door and set him free. And I think it's like that for us sometimes when worry has held me in its powerful grip, whether it's about my children and their future or other circumstances in my life, um, so often the Holy Spirit has. He's brought a scripture to mind. He said an encouraging word from a friend or in some other way just reminds me to turn my eyes away from the situation that's causing me to worry, fix my eyes instead on Jesus and the hope of the gospel. So that's a mouthful. <laughs> no, go. it's so good. It's so good. Katie Ferris is our conversation partner. You can find her online at Katie Ferris, F-A-R-I-S, katieferris.com. Um, the book um, is it's absolutely wonderful. It's He Will Be Enough. My favorite uh, chapter or devotion is number 10, Even If, mm-hmm. Even When on the trustworthy nature of God. We are giving away copies today. If you'd like to enter that drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. What a delight. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's really been a pleasure. Absolutely. He will be enough how God takes you by the hand through your hardest days. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Now I'm a All right, lots of you have copies of my book, Speak the Truth, How to Bring God Back into Every Conversation. Some of you have asked, hey, can we do a book group? All right, that starts tonight. 6.30 p.m., you can join me on Facebook Live um, at Reconnect with Carmen. If you just look for my professional page on Facebook or type in at Reconnect with Carmen. Um, We're going to do a summer-long book club on my book, Speak the Truth, uh, every Wednesday night, 6.30 Central. I don't know how long each one will go. I don't know, 15, 20, 30 minutes. They're not going to be super long. I I don't have the capacity to do a super long conversation about my own book, but you might. So I'd love for you to join me if you want to learn how to get God back into the conversations of the day. I wrote a whole book on it. So I thought maybe a little book group conversation about that would be fun. Connect with me tonight, 6.30 p.m. Central on Facebook at Reconnect with Carmen. That's my handle on Facebook. Um, Look forward to that. That'll be really, really fun. Um, Hey, thanks for including me in your day here. This podcast will be posted in just a little bit at MyFaithRadio.com, and you can share it with somebody else. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.